What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. Amron, and today we have a very special video. It's going to be part two of what's going to be a three part series of me diving into each of my prospect models that I have been spending countless hours over the last month and a half just grinding the Google Sheets. You guys know I am a freak in those Google Sheets, especially in the wee hours of the night, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. range. It gets it gets scary in the Google Sheets. I've been to places that I've been to the shadow realm of the Google Sheets. Last video, part one, we went over the quarterback model and my top five quarterbacks with their player comps. Today, we're going to go over my wide receiver model, how it works, what stats I put into it, what stats I didn't think really made the cut, the overall observations I've gained from it. Then we're going to do a nice little bonus where I go into the top five wide receivers, according to my model, and the player comps that fit best for those players. So with that being said, we're going to get into that in a second. Make sure you go down below. Make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, trying to choose. I mean, I know I'm critical. So in the quarterback video, we went over the model and the overall idea of building these models, but it kind of flopped in the algorithm. It's not a big deal. Everything's kind of flopping in the algorithm these days. So we're going to go over it again. And if this one cracks like a thousand views or something, we'll just skip over it in the next one. And just talk about what's in the model itself. But we're going to go over what my process is with this model and what I'm calling it at this point, I don't have any better creative name for it. We're going to call it the Ron Stewart grading system for now, the RSGS. I feel like that's kind of cool. I think the most important part of defining a model isn't defining the name of it, but defining what you're solving for. The problem is uh, with a lot of analytics is the NFL is solving for a different thing than we are. So trying to say that your model is finding the best wide receiver. I mean, there's definitely some, some correlation there, but a guy like Henry Ruggs going very highly in the NFL draft, they were trying to find a guy to put in a role and be this field stretcher. We just care about guys scoring fantasy points and a person that, or a player that's built like that, that is taking Hail Mary shots or not Hail Mary shots, but deep shots and is more of a, I wouldn't say gadgety player, but you get what I'm saying, like a niche player. It's not solving for the same thing. So NFL teams had him as wide receiver one on their board. The model does not because we are solving not for a NFL player that can make our offense more dynamic, but we're solving for fantasy points, PPR fantasy points. So for me, I created a model that its whole directive is solving a wide receivers or predicting a wide receivers points per game in his first three years. And I think that's a really good barometer for success. It takes away any variance from injury early on. It's also the most relevant window for owning that player because we trade so much in dynasty there's not a really good chance that after three years, every player you draft onto your team is still there. We care about that short window because we want that player to be scoring points for us so we can win championships. And we also want that player to be scoring points. So in the eyes of the market, his value increases. So the question becomes, what does the grading system look like? Like what even is a grading system? And the way that it happened was I'm in the Google Sheets and I'm telling you, I'm compiling every stat that you could think of for every wide receiver drafted from 2007 to 2019, their breakout age and breakout age for 20% dominator for 30% dominator, tracking breakout age, age adjusting, experience adjusting, market share data, yards per team pass attempt, college dominator rating, everything you could think of, I tested. Athleticism, 40 times, speed score, hand, I even tried to see if hand size was going to do anything for the model. Spoiler alert, it didn't, but I was down for it. Now, the easiest way that I can explain how the grading system works is I did that. And then for each stat, I would sort it highest to lowest. And I'm looking, I go down and I'm trying to see where the drop-offs are from 
that stat and then first three years points per game and i'm looking i'm looking oh hold on let me let me let me plug in the mic jesus christ so the way I tested them was sorting each stat highest to lowest and kind of seeing where the drop off is in a player's first three years points per game next to it. And, you know, OK, so after for, let's say draft capital, for example, OK, after the first round, there's a big drop off, second round, drop off, third round, all the way down to day three. And from there, I can kind of get a feel and chart a point a player's points per game through their first three seasons and see that first rounders average 10.7 points per game through their first three seasons. Second rounders, 8.2 points per game. Third round, there's 5.8 points per game and day three players, 3.2 per game. You guys can see this on this chart right here. It says in the average PPR three seasons column, that's where that data is. And I could have done round four, round five, round six, round seven. But in my research, I found that they were pretty much all the same. The grading process from there gets a little bit more tricky because you can't just plug that into a model. You can't just plug in 10.7 to 3.2 because ideally we want the highest grade to be a 10 even. So what I had to do was do 10 divided by 10.7 times 10.7. And you'll see that equation to the right of average PPR three seasons column. And what that does is the 10.7s cancel out and that makes it a 10. That is our 10 grade. Then you just replace the second 10.7 for the average points per game through three seasons for the rest of the, uh, for the rest of the rounds and the rest of the grades. And that spits you out a grade that is proportional to the drop-off in points per game to give us the most accurate grade possible for each stat. So here we have 10, 7.6, 5.5, 2.9. And what that equates to is A plus, B plus, B minus, C minus for first round, second round, third round, and day three draft capital. And I then go through the entire database and do that for every single stat that I thought was predictive. So we can put everything on the same playing field. It just makes it an easy way to communicate to the model the stats I'm trying to put into it. Because if you just want to put first round and 30% market share of receiving yards into a model, you can't just put one and 30 and have it spit out a number. Most of the time that's not going to work. So if I put everything on the same playing field where A plus is 10 across the board and there's just a grade for each stat and it compiles it all together and spits out a final stat, that's much easier. So let's say we have five stats and each of them are tens. I can then make an average of those five stats and then also weight them where I can do ones like times five, ones times 0.5, and then take an average of the total amount of grades in the system. I hope that makes sense. Then I average all of those together and it spits out my official RS grade. And as you guys can see, these are my top wide receiver prospects just in the model by RS grade from the last three draft classes. Now you're going to see Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, they have a grade of 10 or better. We didn't see that in the quarterback model. In the wide receiver and in the running back model, there is a pathway to be higher than a 10, and that's from multipliers. So it spits out the RS grade, which is my pre-multiplier grade. Then there's multipliers that you get for having top 10 draft capital and elite athleticism. Jefferson hit just athleticism. Jamar Chase hit both. That's why both of them hit multipliers and got to that past 10 range. So this is cool to look at and the RS grades are fun. You sort them by RS grade and you look at those three draft classes and it's pretty solid. But the what it all boils down to is are your prospect scores or whatever grades, are they predictive? And mine are, are pretty strong. My RS grades for wide receivers are 0.453 R squared to a wide receiver's points per game in their first three years. Draft capital for wide receivers is around 0.35. So we have a pretty good leg up on the NFL, but it's not 
where I want it to be. Ideally, this wide receiver model would be at 0.5 plus. That's like a, an elite, elite level model. I'm still working to get there. The, the quarterback one came out very strong. I'm very happy with this one. I'm still happy with this one. It's solid, but there's definitely work to be done, especially next offseason when I go in there and retweak things. I can't trust enough. All of this stuff, these models, the comparisons that the database is going to pull, all of it is very new to me, and I'm still trying to make everything better, and it's going to be a ever-changing process of me trying to chase a higher R squared and, and better tools. And this is the this is the baby stages of the prospect model. Regardless, though, 0.453 is still really, really solid, and it's it's still good, and you can still communicate a lot from them. Now, here is the most important part. These RS grades are not just to make my life easier, where I could just order by RS grades, and boom, those are my rookie rankings. But I think it's a little bit flawed to just default to them, because if one wide receiver is an 8.8 .8 and the other wide receiver is 8.7, they're decimals apart at that point you got to go in there and do your own research to decide and the whole point of the grades aren't to blindly follow them talked about this in the last video but you want to be you know luke skywalker with the blindfold on following following the force let the grades guide you and the way that i let them guide me is by bucketing them into tiers so we're not you know taking them as gospel but we're letting them group players into buckets for us to then grade against each other on our own accord and this is an idea from at DFB encounter on Twitter. He does really, really good stuff. He's the first person I saw ever bucket and tier prospect grades, which is really cool. And mine are Madden themed. I thought I played Madden growing up. It just made sense. And this is a tier at the top here that was not in the quarterback model. And it's because quarterback, there's too much variance. There really is no such thing as a sure thing at the quarterback position. We might see Trevor Lawrence be one of the biggest busts of all time. That is in his range of outcomes, even though he should have been a legendary type prospect in terms of how he was pumped up and his film grades and all that stuff. But with wide receivers, we have a little bit of a better understanding. And for that reason, I have a legendary tier, which these players have a top 24 season hit rate of 100%. Elite hit top 24 seasons at 85%, which is really, really strong. The quarterbacks only had a 75% in the elite tier. So the elite tier at wide receiver is really, really solid if you can make it into that threshold. Then we have gold, 45% hit rate, silver 25%, bronze 6%. And with this, we just want to let the tiers guide us and then we'll make the decisions between each tier. On that note, let's backtrack for a second and kind of go over how the RS grades themselves are even built before you even take the tier into account. And my biggest point of emphasis in building the components and the metrics I used in the model was to allow players multiple paths to dominance. I think uh, a pitfall a pitfall of most analytics is they have a model that's just trying to identify one type extremely well and that's cool but you're cutting yourself off from a huge population of the players and for instance most models love dj Moore, but they hate calvin ridley mine likes both and they're both very different players on paper but they both still did enough in college to the point where they should have been elite prospects the problem is they just look very different and it's hard to cast that wide of a net and the idea with my model and when i was building it is that i wanted to have multiple paths to elite tier and I wanted players people to shine outside of those core stats of breakout age and dominator rating, all that. I want to incorporate some other things and allow players that path where if the rest of their profile is undeniable, despite a bad breakout age or college dominator rating, they can still be an elite prospect. And one of the ways I did that was I incorporated film grades in this, not just draft capital, but film grades from an NFL draft analyst 
lands to your line. And the whole idea is I want to blend analytics. I want to blend film. I don't want to just reject anything that could possibly help my R squared, help my model just because as a analytics nerd or Google sheets master that I would want to reject anything from the film community. If, the, if dude, if you have anything out there, if you have, if you have forearm size is going to add to the R squared of my model, I'm, I'm down to hear you out. And it's also the reason that I incorporated experience adjusting and age adjusting. I wanted to cover as many bases as possible. Now, with that being said, my RS grades can be split up into five core components. And I had a little bit of a tough time shrinking everything into five components with the quarterbacks a little bit more simple. We had three components. This is five. And I think that they're pretty solid for now. We have film, which accounts for 43% of the grade. We have experience adjusted production, which accounts for 22.5% of the grade. We have age adjusted production, which accounts for 22.5% of the grade as well. Age profile, which we'll get into that later. It sounds weird, but that's 6% of the profile. And then athleticism, which is 6% of the entire grade. And then that all totals to 100%. And that is my RS grades. Now let's look into what makes each component and what's the stats and the metrics within each one. First, we're going to talk about film, which is pretty straightforward. Me personally, not a film grinder. I'll watch players and see what their player types are, their archetypes, and just kind of see how they win in the NFL. And that's really useful information. But if you wanted me to sit down and watch a player and tell you how good that guy would project at the next level, one, that'd be a fool's errand on my part. I can't do that. I always say this, you know, I can read a defense. I can see two safeties up top, cover two, one safety, cover three. I can kind of see maybe some guys coming in blitzing when I'm playing Madden and stuff, or even when I'm watching TV. But in terms of using my football knowledge to then apply to prospects and tell you that I can see that a player's route running is good or bad, I have no idea. And that's also so much, so time consuming to sit down and do all that while I'm already putting together these Excel sheets. So I'm good on that. And because of that, I lean on the expertise of others. And the first pillar of the film grade is draft capital. This is the biggest input in my entire model at 23% of the grade. And at the very core of it, these are billion dollar organizations doing hours of research. Some NFL front offices are analytics driven. I would still say a majority of draft picks and draft capital is spent with a film driven background. I guess you could say these guys are paid to watch combines and combines and go to pro days and they send their scouts out to watch games for the most part draft capital is a film grade at least in my opinion the second component is much bigger than it was in the quarterback model and this is Lance Zierlein's film grades and these are 20 percent of the prospect model so draft capital is 23 percent Lance Zierlein is 20 percent it's almost half and half between draft capital and Lance Zierlein it improves the model a good bit now, I will note his grades aren't even amazing by themselves. If you, you know, you take a look at the R squared of his grades, they're about 0.26, where draft capital is about 0.35. So that's a pretty big downgrade. The thing is, is that the R squared of a metric by itself isn't super important in the context of your model. You can add something that has a 0.15 R squared and something that has a 0.45 R squared to your model. And the 0.15 might actually be more significant. It's it's really just about finding the blind spots in your model. And I found that Lance Zierlein, who is the draft analyst over at NFL.com, he has draft grades, grades dating back all the way to 2014, which is pretty wild. And I found that it helped move up kind of, I wouldn't call them diamonds in the rough, but just unorthodox profiles in Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Calvin Ridley, Devontae Adams. It also moved down 
guys like Tutu Atwell, Nelson Aguilar, Andy Isabella, those analytics darlings that just didn't translate or Aguilar wasn't really an analytics darling but Tutu Atwell and Andy Isabella were it just didn't translate onto the football field at least in Lanzier line's perspective also let me know if you guys want to see Lanzier line on the channel I've been thinking about reaching out to him and you know picking his brain about his film grades and all that because I use them so much I think it would be an interesting video so let me know what you guys think about that but we're going to move on to our next component which is experience adjusted production and let's first break down, before we even get into the production part, what experience adjusting even is. And that means instead of charting a player's age 18 through 23 or older seasons, it's freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, or if you want to call it year one, year two, year three, year four. And it just, it just prioritizes early producers regardless of their age. And a really good example of that is Calvin Ridley who was a guy who was so old in high school, he wasn't eligible to play his senior year. I don't know what his background was. I imagine you got to come up in a pretty tough background to be a 23 or he's like 19 and a half as a, a high school senior. He came into Alabama as a 20-year-old freshman and put up 89 catches, 1,045 yards, and seven touchdowns as a true freshman at Alabama. I get he was 20 years old, but if you do that after not even really playing his senior year of high school, you shouldn't discount that because of the age he was when he stepped on the field. You shouldn't discount it by much. And I think there's pros or cons to doing both, but I get the I get the sides of both. It's the idea, okay, he's 20 years old, he's older than everybody, but the other thing is that he doesn't have the experience of playing against that competition. So it is a tough, you know, mix of both, and that's why I incorporated both into the model. Now that we understand what experience adjusting even is, let's talk about the two stats that are inputs on this side or this component of the model and that is experience adjusted yards per team pass attempt average over expectation which is at 10 percent. we have experience adjusted yards per team pass attempt peak over expected that's four percent we have experience adjusted market share average over expectation which is four percent and that sounds like a whole lot of nonsense and it can be pr pretty much broken down into two core stats and those are yards per team pass attempt and market share of receiving yards or receiving yard market share and the first one we'll talk about is yards per team pass attempt which is defined as receiving yards it's just pretty simply it's it's literally receiving yards divided by a team's pass attempts and pretty much what it does is it combines dominance and efficiency what are you providing for your team on not a market share basis but on a per attempt basis then we have receiving yard market share, which is pretty straightforward. It's receiving yards divided by a team's passing yards. So if a wide receiver has a thousand yards in an offense with 4,000 passing yards, that's a 25% market share because 1,000 divided by 4,000, 25%. I then take each of those stats, chart them for each player. And this is where the over expectation part comes in. I use a threshold for each wide receiver, what I think they should hit depending on how far along they are in school for years one, year two, year three, year four. And that steadily improves across all of them and we want them to hit each of those thresholds then based on those thresholds i record each player's average over expectation and peak over expectation and the best way to communicate what that really means is i'm going to pull up this graph with devonta smith so assume that dotted line are my thresholds he gets a negative start in those first two years but he gets a positive in those last two those green bars that are above the dotted line and then two red bars that are below and the way you find the average is by adding how much he overperformed and underperformed that dotted line each of those four years and then dividing it by four so on average how much is he overperforming or underperforming expectation in that stat and to find the peak you go to that 
year four, the one where he absolutely blasted off and you subtract it by the threshold of what he was expected to perform at that level. And that is his peak. So it accounts for a little bit how old he is. So you don't have a player like Devonta Smith getting a massive bump for something he did in year four. It gets a little bit more context of he was already older than everybody else, but it was still pretty crazy what he did. Now I used average and peak for yards per team pass attempt. I only used average for receiving yard market share. And just because the peak wasn't as useful in that stat, I still think that it's probably useful elsewhere, but just not for this model. Then we have age adjusted production, which is going to be much easier to explain because it is the same exact thing in terms of market share over expectation. And we're using average and we're using peak average accounts for 9% peak accounts for 9% in this component. So instead of year one, year two, year three, like we have an experience adjusted, we have age 18, 19, 20, 21 in age adjusted production. And the best way I can show the difference of what that really means on paper is with Calvin Ridley again. And here are two charts on the left are his receiving yard market share shown by age. And on the right, it's by experience. And he gets a massive boost when experience adjusting. As you can see on the right side, he meets every threshold. He had a monster freshman year. Then we look at the left side and it's not as impressive when you age adjust for his freshman year and you compare him instead of to other freshmen, but you compare him to other 20 year olds who are sophomores and juniors at that point, it's not as impressive. Again, there's pros and cons to doing both. That's why I included both. Now there's also this SRS metric that has been on the screen at this point that you guys have seen and I haven't addressed it yet, but it is 4.5% of each component and it just factors in strength of schedule and quality of team. It's a stat, it's a stat called SRS. And it's simple rating system, a rating that takes into account average point differential and strength of schedule. The rating is denominated in points above slash below average where zero is average. And it pretty much just, it just adjusts for quality of team and strength of schedule. So 1000 yards, Alabama is worth more than 1000 yards at UTEP. Now you will notice I didn't add breakout age to the model or college dominator rating. Both of those stats, I like more than dominator rating and breakout age didn't really help the R squared. And I think just performing above expectation in those first two years is about as good as breakout age. It still accounts for prioritizing players that flash early. Then we have a category called age profile. Still unsure if that name's going to stick, but this takes into account a player's age profile, which is their draft age. And if they're early declares two factors that are really important for wide receiver prospects. And I'm not just saying that this is a really good point of analysis that a lot of people miss and Blair Andrews over at Rotoviz did a lot of really good research over the past few years on it on this topic in his column the wrong read it is really really good that is that is probably one of the if you're going to have just one article you can read for the rest of your life or one column for the rest of your life to get an edge in fantasy football the wrong read is that I don't know why my nose is freaking like running all right here we go and he proved that both of these stats matter with these charts the chart on the left shows that players score more points the younger they were at the day of the draft their draft age a better word for that and then the chart on the right shows that early declares score more points as well we want players who are undeniable to the point where they were yanked from college and put on an nfl playing field as early as possible to compete with nfl talent so then i graded it i wanted to find what were the age range and the early declare statuses that had the most signal in the model and these were the three that i landed on an A-plus is 20 to 21 years old. They're early declares, and they average 11.09 points per game through their first three seasons. An A, so not a really big drop-off, are players who are 22 to 23 years old. They're early declares, and they average 
9.7 points per game through their first three seasons. So there's not really a big drop off. I would argue that early declare is a bigger indicator than draft age. And I think that draft age is a little bit overstated. There's a little bit of a ding there in my model for being 22, 23. But at the, at the end of the day, I just prefer that you were an early declare. Then we have an F grade, which is for any player that doesn't fit that criteria and is not an early declare. Now, I know that it says 6.48 points per game, which means that instead of an F and a zero, it should probably be like a C and uh, a five. But I really wanted to make sure that these players who weren't early declares got a bigger ding than that. And the R score to the model improved when I moved that to zero. So it was really giving a a, a knock against those prof, uh, prospects. Again, it's only 6% of the model. So it's not a massive, massive ding, but it is something. Then our last input is athleticism. And this one's really straightforward. I just used RAS, which is relative athletic score, which spits out a number zero through 10 based on a wide receiver's size, speed, agility, and explosion relative to other wide receivers. This example we'll show here is DK Metcalf. He got a 9.66, which is an A plus score. And it also shows that he still got an A plus score despite the agility concerns, which moved him down draft boards. His agility concerns weren't enough to sink the rest of his ship. He still tested well enough in the other categories. And that pretty much wraps up the model. So if you've made it this far, I appreciate you. You are pretty much a tier one subscriber at this point. Make sure you go down below. If you aren't subscribed and you sat through that entire thing, subscribe, leave a like. And now it's time for the juicy part. We're going to go through what prospect here each of these wide receivers fall into, where I have them ranked, and then we're going to go over their closest comps in my database based off the five core components of the RS grades. I cannot stress enough, the model, the comps are all in stage 1.0 right now, still trying to improve these as the time goes on, but these are what I'm seeing at this point in time. And at wide receiver one, in tier one, we have Traylon Burks. He's very easily my 103. He's my wide receiver one in this class. I have not budged on that. Now, before I even get into Burks, this is a pretty loaded screenshot on the screen. So let me explain it a little bit. And this is on the left side, we have our prospect info, which is draft round, draft pick and draft year for Traylon Burks. You'll see he's first round 23rd overall. That's from Grind the Mocks. That is a website that projects draft capital based on a bunch of mock drafts that are compiled. That's what I use in the model until we get real draft capital. Then we have to the right of the player name, we have prospect here, which again, legendaries hit at a 100% rate of top 24 seasons elite have a 85% hit rate for top 24 seasons gold 45 silver 25% bronze 6% then we have to the right of that a player's archetype which is just based off of their size are they big are they alpha wide receivers or beta I probably am going to change the name again being a beta wide receiver isn't a derogatory term it's not bad it's just that he is a smaller wide receiver that is all that is i cannot stress enough it's really not a big knock against anybody it's just really a tiebreaker at this point then to the right of that you have each player's official rs grade and then to the right of that you have my rookie comps area which is pretty much i separated the model's outputs into five components and graded them using letters to understand them better and the rule of thumb for these comps were to only go above or below one grade level for each component so if you have b plus film only prospects with a minus b plus and b film made it into your wide receivers comps and i did that for every single one of the components and then that spits out your comps now talking about burks he's a really clean prospect the recent hate of burks is wild i think he's now about the consensus wide receiver two or wide receiver three people are souring on him he ran that slow 40 time which wasn't even a slow 40 time it was like what in the four fives which at his size isn't bad at all Regardless, athleticism, I think, is largely overrated. It's only 6% of our entire model or in RS grades. It's not really a big input for me. 
And the other thing is, if you want to call him slow, I think that's wild because his 40-yard dash time, again, in the 4.5s, completely fine. He clocked in 22.6 miles per hour in a game last year. He outran the Alabama defense when he played against them. And that 22.6 mile per hour that he ran was one of the fastest times clocked in college football. And for reference, DK Metcalf ran a 22.64 mile per hour run when he was chasing down Buda Baker. Only 0.04 miles per hour faster than Traylon Burks last year. Burks is just fine. His game speed is amazing. The profile is super clean. There's literally, there are no... There are no smudges on his profile. He produced across the board. He has size. He's going to get first round draft capital. I refuse to fade him. And his comps are pretty solid as well. He has Akeem Nix and Kenny Britt. I think those comps are a little bit too narrow. It was really tough for me to find comps that matched up with Traylon Burks because his, his production is so good. Like his profile, it's wild to say this, but his profile is so perfect that it's tough to find prospects that had as perfect of a production profile, but then also didn't have that elite athleticism. He was an elite combine away from being a legendary wide receiver he still has a path to legendary if he goes in the top 10 i don't think he will he has a key next he has kenny Britt. if you lower the production threshold a little bit you can add mike evans deandre hopkins Devonte adams into the mix he is a very solid wide receiver would i comp him to a you know calvin johnson julio jones he's not that tier of wide receiver but he's going to be a perennial i think Allen robinson akeem nicks kenny Britt. Devontae Adams, Alshon Jeffrey, Jeffrey are all very solid comps for him. That's the kind of wide receiver I see him being. Then at wide receiver two, moved him here just recently, but Drake London. And he's a weird one because as you can see by these comps, there are elite and gold players on here. And the tough part about him is he has the highest RS grade for any gold wide receiver in my entire database. But he doesn't have a high enough RS grade to hit the elite threshold. He only gets into the elite threshold if he goes in the top 10 which at this point is probably a 50-50 chance. Um, for what it's worth, even if he doesn't get top 10, I'm probably still going to have him valued in my head and in my ranks as an elite wide receiver. Again, the best gold wide receiver in the entire database. On this list of comps, I think he's pretty easily just in terms of his profile and just in terms of what he looks like on the field. In my eyes, he's closer to Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams than he is to Will Fuller and Jerry Judy, especially stylistically. Drake is this big alpha wide receiver, 6'4", 219. That's a big boy. And I love his contested catch ability. I love that he played basketball at USC. I'm a big college basketball fan, but I also love that he played two sports. It means that he's an athlete. He's, he has functional athleticism where he can play multiple sports. He's not just a specialist. And there's also something to be said about basketball players in the NFL that are really good at high pointing the football and being good in contested catch situations and red zone situations like Antonio Gates and Jimmy Graham. I know those guys are tight ends that converted from basketball, but it's a similar idea where I think Drake London could that could be that touchdown red zone type threat. He seems like an absolute stud. Then our last wide receiver in this tier, wide receiver three, is Garrett Wilson. And the weird part is that his comps are pretty much the same as Drake London's. And again, this is kind of where it's like, man, maybe I need to tweak this a little bit, but they aren't bad comps. I think probably for Drake London, you could have just taken out Judy and uh, Fuller. I think for this one, I could have just taken out the top three and left Garrett Wilson with Will Fuller and Judy. I think that that's really fair for Garrett Wilson. He has that same build where he's six foot, 183. He has that same smooth operator type wide receiver skill set. I think Judy is a really, really strong comp for him. And he just doesn't really fit for me in terms of play style or size either in that Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins bucket. I will say his production, really, really strong. He had a crazy second year where Jackson Smith Njigba last year had an amazing year, 3.25 yards per team pass attempt last year with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, which is really strong. 
The reason I mentioned that is because Garrett Wilson in his sophomore year, next to JSN, next to Olave, next to, I believe, Jamison Williams as well, he had a 3.22 yards per team pass attempt, only 0.03 less, one of the best year two yards per team pass attempts I have in the database, and I believe the best of the 2022 class as a sophomore, which is really impressive in that offense. And Garrett Wilson just feels like, to me, a perennial top 24 guy. Again, Judy, Fuller, he feels like a, a Tyler Lockett I will say, though, he is also in the Drake London range, where if he gets top 10 draft capital, he'll become elite. And I think that vaults him from Judy Will Fuller to then CeeDee Lamb, Calvin Ridley, Stephon Diggs. Even You can even throw in Marquise Brown into that mix of those smaller, frailer, wide receiver one, elite-type producers in the NFL. So I think that that's in his range of outcomes, but if he doesn't go top 10, still a solid prospect. Then we jump down a tier, and I think you guys are going to be really surprised to see that I am very bullish and very firm that Jamison Williams is my wide receiver four. I don't think that there's really much that can happen for me to change that. I think the next wide receiver I mentioned, if he goes round one, then I think I would change that. But Jamison Williams is a really, really interesting case study because we have no idea how he would have tested, though we know he would have ran fast. He would have ran probably in the four twos. The problem is that at his size, I don't think the speed would have been enough without a good broad jump and long jump and showing explosion. So I think that his athleticism was probably going to be in the B plus to A minus range. But for now, I'll leave it out. And the reason I love Jamison Williams profile is a lot of you guys that have been with me since the offseason redraft, you guys know I'm a sicko. I shoot for nothing but upside. And Jamison Williams is a true home run swing. He is an early declare. The tape guys love him. Very fast, huge peak year three. He has everything in his profile where he could just absolutely explode in the NFL. I love that. He has game breaker upside with his speed. His comps are a little bit tough, but I think that they're sort of juicy in the Percy Harvin, Jalen Waddle type area. I think it's it's really tough for me to come up with a stylistic comp for Jamison Williams, but again, his his profile is just really, really clean. Or not really clean, but it's really intriguing and it, it shows a lot of upside. And there is definitely some downside. He could be a Henry Ruggs type player. That is also in his range of outcomes. I think even a guy like, I mean, I guess Ted Ginn isn't a great uh, outcome. I think a guy like, ja, ja, I don't know why I couldn't think of his name, but a guy like John Ross is also kind of in his range of outcomes as, you know, those one-dimensional speedsters that can't do anything. But from what I've seen, it seems like Jamison Williams is a little bit more than that. So for now, I'll have him at wide receiver four. Again, very firm on that. Probably won't come off of that unless if somebody gets unforeseen draft capital. But I love him in that 106, 107, 108 range. I'm probably going to have a few shares of Jamison Williams. And if I said that two, three months ago, I probably wouldn't have believed myself. Then in our last tier, tier four, a wide receiver by himself. I'll be honest, this is a massive tier with guys like George Pickens and David Bell and Wandell Robinson and Chris Olave. I don't know if I said his name already, but it's a big jumble at this point. We got to see how draft capital kind of shakes out. But for me, at this point, my wide receiver five, is Sky Moore. On paper, he looks like Stefan Diggs with second round draft capital, which is really dangerous. And I'll be honest, these comps probably make him look a little bit better than he really is. You know, you have Keenan Allen and Juju Smith-Schuster in there. And if you just want to keep it to just beta wide receivers and it's Sidney Rice and Rashad Bateman, which isn't as solid, he could also be Earl Bennett, but his profile is wild. I've, I can't think of a, a profile like this where a guy produces as much as he did, produced all three years, and then declared early from a G5 team that he played at, I think either central Michigan, or I think it was, it was either central Michigan or Western Michigan, whatever. I think it was the one that Corey Davis played at, but it's a no name Maxion type school. 
and he balled so damn hard that he is about to go in the second round of the NFL draft and drop out of college because of it. That's insane to me. That's a huge indicator that NFL teams still like him, that he could not be a senior from a G5 team. So I'm pretty much all in on Sky Moore. If he holds that second round draft capital like he's projected to go right now, he's going to be my top five, six wide receiver for me personally. Now, that was a lot. We're 45 minutes in of me rambling about my wide receiver model that I absolutely love, by the way. But we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to go into part three next week, which is my running back model, which is, in my opinion, I think the, the quarterback model has the highest R squared, but quarterback isn't super hard to project because if you get drafted highly, you're going to score more points because you're just going to start more games. The running back model has an R squared of above 0.5, and I'm very, very happy with that. So we're going to go over that next week. I'm very excited for it. Now, if you enjoyed this video, you enjoy this type of analysis, you're interested in the wide receiver model in general, check out patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. It is going to have my rookie comps, my sophomore comps. I'm going to have year three comps as well. All of the grades are already on there. My rookie rankings, my dynasty rankings, everything you could possibly ask for is on there for literally just $5. And I can't stress this enough. You get all my behind the scenes thoughts. I have a, a little spot on there called Ron Stat Cave, where as I'm building these models and doing things, I'm updating the discord on my research in real time. The juiciest part about the Patreon right now is that it's just $5 right now, but I've already told the, the patrons in there, they're going to stay at $5 a month, but in the next one, two, three weeks, by the NFL draft, I'm going to have the Patreon updated where the base tier is going to get a bump up in price and everything across the board is going to get bumped up because I'm providing models. I'm also providing redraft advice, trade advice, fantasy football, in general advice, all that stuff and more. Need to up the price a little bit. And then also on top of that, I want to add some other cool stuff in there that I would need to have more tiers for, which is Debbie rankings. And, you know, that's 2023 draft class, 2024 draft class, the RS grade library, which is going to have the rookie comps and the soft comps, all that cool stuff and more on the Patreon. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. It is $5 for a limited time only. I feel like a cheesy ass commercial right now, but limited time only. It's going to change very soon. And if you sign up literally today, you will pay $5 for the base tier until the end of time when you stop paying the $5. So anybody that signs up before I do that update in a few weeks, you'll be grandfathered in and have the cheap price. So doing a lot of rambling here, but as always, I love you guys. Make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like, and as always, I will see you in the next one. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kinda glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner's dreamer. Hell back asses, Loki's still a dinner.